Hello, my fellow Bitcoiners. Meet the status credit card. Earn unlimited 2% cash back or Bitcoin rewards on every purchase with no annual fee, no foreign transaction fees, and no fees to buy Bitcoin at the market rate. This card comes with status money's premium benefits to help you manage your money, including a net worth and spending tracker, peer comparisons, and the option to video chat with a financial coach. Download the Status Money app or visit statusmoney.com slash card. Get the status credit card. Go to statusmoney.com forward slash card. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner. I am here with my co-host, CK. How are you doing, CK? What is up, Ansel? I am doing great, my man. Doing great. Excited to chat macro once again. And uh, happy holidays to uh, everyone out there watching. Thanks for tuning in to Bitcoin Magazine Live. Thanks to tune- for tuning in to FedWatch. On this show, we talk Bitcoin and macro. Uh, and we think about how Bitcoin plays in as a bigger part of uh, the macro ecosystem. So we are one of the only shows in the world that actually does this. Ansel does incredible research and has been ahead of many elements of uh, the developing crisis in fiat legacy markets, uh, as well as Bitcoin's development. So Ansel, excited to be here once again with you uh, to chat. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Uh, thanks for joining us. The The macro psych- news cycle has been a little bit slow over the last, uh, I would say, 48 hours. But there was some big news this week, and that was Japan with their relaxation of yield curve control. So we're going to cover that. Also this morning, we had some revisions to the U.S. GDP from Q3. So we'll cover that. And uh, yeah, just wrap about some macro, what's going on, and um, you know, sign off for the Christmas break after that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we got to talk Bitcoin price. It's uh it's been scary looking at that chart, honestly, Ansel. Uh, I don't know what you make of it. You're generally a, you know, I would say more bullish in the medium term uh, than many, but it's a scary looking chart. So I'm excited to, to get your opinion on that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, should we jump right into the charts? Uh, well, no, before we do that, we got to, okay. I'd be remiss if I don't shill the Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin 2023. Yeah, yeah. May 18th through the 20th in Miami Beach, Florida. Ansel's going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm excited to get him on the desk. It's honest, It's honestly a long time coming for you to be a part of the conference content. So hopefully we can make that happen. But, um, you know, meet Bitcoiners, Bitcoin Twitter in life, uh, Noster in real life. Like, come on, you cannot beat the Bitcoin conference. 
Uh, it's the first time I met Ansel, even after interacting with him for years online. Uh, that was in 2021. Uh, and, you know, it, it's really an incredible experience. Bitcoiners are best in person. And the Bitcoin conference is where Bitcoin history is made. Uh, code BM Live That gets you 10% off your tickets. Ticket prices are always going up. We also have a lot of awesome platforms and projects out there for people to take advantage and get a free ticket. Uh, we have an open source program where if you have committed uh, code to one of many open source programs or softwares in the Bitcoin world, that includes Bitcoin Core, Spectre, um, many, many others um, out there. Uh, Seed Signer is another one. If you have contributed code, you can get a free four-day ticket to the Bitcoin wow. conference. So uh, apply to that, to the, all the contributors out there. Uh, and again, all the Bitcoiners out there, be a part of history, come to the Bitcoin conference uh, and don't wait because ticket prices, travel costs, all that is going up and it, you can't miss it. That is pretty huge. Um, Bitcoin Magazine, always taking care of the community, putting the community first, putting Bitcoin first. Got to love that. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Every year uh, I've gone now two years in a row and it seems like I've I, I have to go back because I didn't do half the stuff I wanted to do. There's so much <laughs> going on. Um, we, I was talking to producer Chris before uh, beforehand, and uh, I think this year I want to spend more time with Bitcoiners. So, um, you know, maybe not go to as many talks and spend more time in the social aspect of it. So, yeah, it's I can't wait. Um, can't wait for Bitcoin 2023. All right. Uh, my admin notes are, hey, join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. That is the place where I drop, you know, multiple pieces of content every day. I also um, do a live stream there every single day. Uh, so and I'm putting those out on my podcast app. So subscribe to Bitcoin and Markets on your, your podcast app to uh, not miss an episode of that. All right. Well, hey, no, ah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I got yeah. I got a double click on that shell and just say. Ansel, in my opinion, one of the highest signal individuals out there, and he is putting out content every Thanks, single day and sometimes twice a day. So um, subscribe to this Telegram, subscribe to Bitcoin Markets. I am an avid listener for a long time. Uh, and obviously subscribe to FedWatch where we break down macro and Bitcoin. All right, Ansel, let's get into the charts. Like subscribe this stream right here. All right. Um, yeah, let's go into the charts. The first, the first slide up, CK. Did you see this one? We're bringing some soccer into here. So the yeah, not not quite some charts, but yeah. The Argentine uh, team is carnivore, man. So uh, did you see this? No, I mean, I, I don't know how carnivore, but um, Argentina is all about meat. And when it comes to uh, when it comes to beef, Argentina is one of the, the most famous places in the world. I'm actually going to be going to Argentina very soon. Really? I'm excited to indulge in uh, the South American and Argentinian beef. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I always see uh, you're posting pictures of your uh, awesome meals. So I thought you would appreciate this this first little clip here or this first uh, tweet. Oh, no, 100%. And congratulations to Argentina and Messi in particular, who is, uh, you know, if he wasn't already the greatest of all time, you know, I think he's he's completed that. And that was an epic soccer game. So uh you know football game to, to all those uh, yeah absolutely cementing his legacy that's what chris said in the in the chat down here uh absolutely and it was it was just so much fun to watch so 
uh, cheers to them. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, that's a, that's a cool picture. <laughs> I'm glad they're having a good time. All right, let's jump into the first chart, and that is the Bitcoin chart. Uh, this one I kind of showed last week, and you can see I put on here all of the major events. I love these charts. That have happened over the last six months. So Terra Luna, Celsius, FTX. Of course, we had some other little ones in there or some other ones in there, but these are the big major ones. And um, I, I maintain that if you take out these big incidents, you know, where the price sold off, dramatically because of the fear and uncertainty and doubt in the market then bitcoin would be sideways right like take out these big days down days and bitcoin has been very very strong for most of the year i think people need to like at least i, I think people get too worried about you know um there's going to be some catastrophic collapse in the price or whatever and like you were saying there before that uh it doesn't look good but if you look at this in the whole year the only time Bitcoin has really collapsed has been during these major events. So there, there has to be some other major event, I think, to push the price down lower. Any comments on this chart, CK? Unfortunately, I feel like there's more major events coming. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of people have been saying the catastrophic bad news is already priced in, and maybe that is the case. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't quite think that we're out of the woods yet in terms of uh, in terms of the big over leveraged ecosystem players, uh, Chris, we can see, uh, your Slack on the screen, by the way. Uh, thank you. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, in terms of these big, uh, ecosystem players, uh, it's, I don't think we're, we're out of the woods. I think the, the over leveraging is still uh, there. Uh, and there's definitely, uh, you know, a few, uh, already that are dead and, you know, it just hasn't, uh you know come to to uh they haven't filed bankruptcy yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like core scientific that they had this announcement that they were getting this massive uh 70 million dollar bailout loan and then a few days later they filed for bankruptcy so uh yeah even even the most optimistic cases uh i think some of these deals are not going to be able to go through and uh and there's going to be more there's going to be more dead bodies <laughs> Well, uh, looking at this chart, uh, to me, I don't see much else in this chart. So when people say, you know, Bitcoin is correlated to stocks or whatever, uh, there's not much else. These Those three big events that I pointed out are really the story of the year for Bitcoin. And it's not super correlated with other things. And just, I guess, the overall climate, the overall macroeconomic climate is such that, yeah, there's correlation, but really there's no like direct uh, influence between say the S&P 500 and Bitcoin. Uh, let's go on Ansel, to the next. Yeah. Wait, before, did you see some of the comments that Chris put up on the screen no. uh, from the chat? GBTC, people are calling that out. People saying grace uh, or uh, people saying that MicroStrategy is using custodians. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're all getting flashed up again. Yeah. I, you know, those are, those are just some of the big names. Yeah, uh, but they're also regulated names, right? So they have to well, file. Well, the regulators things. don't work, and then they say they need more regulation. It's, it's, a, it's a hilarious clown show. That's true. That's true. I mean, the, it has to stop with somebody, right? The Somebody's got to be that dom the person that holds up that last domino. And uh, I think that the companies that are remaining 
Binance kind of worries me a little bit, but um, GBTC really doesn't bother me or doesn't worry me and neither does MicroStrategy. So uh, I think people are just there. They have a little PTSD and they want to ha see the next thing collapse. So why doesn't GBTC uh, worry you? Because they have the Bitcoin. It's not like they have paper Bitcoin on their balance sheet or anything. They are not insolvent. So they just have a bunch of angry creditors. Or oh, not Grace? creditors, ang angry uh, stakeholders, shareholders. Well, DCG, yeah. Uh, yeah, DCG has issues with, uh, with Genesis. Yeah, DCG is a different story, but GBTC on its own is you know, it's a separate entity and it has the Bitcoin. And so there's, it's not like DCG is going to steal from the Bitcoin out of GBTC to, you know, pay something. So yep. th there's no uh, co-mingling there uh, as, as far as I can tell. So yeah, GBTC itself, the trust itself is totally solvent, totally fine. Um, great uh, microstrategy, totally solvent, totally fine. It wouldn't really matter if they weren't in that case because they just owe it to themselves, I guess. Well, um, I mean, I guess, I guess the the concern is that uh, their Bitcoin is held by a custodian that might not have the Bitcoin. Um, well, he talked about that recently, right? He talked about that he what they one of their custodians is Coinbase. Coinbase has like two million Bitcoins. I think they're completely solvent and okay. Um, then there's, I, he didn't disclose the other two, but people kind of know what the other two are. And those are companies that I don't think uh, are having any issues either. So overall, I think MicroStrategy's Bitcoin is secure and they probably have it in multi-sig. So a lot of these custodians that people are worried about as well, uh, they, they are custodians with one key, say, right? And so it's not necessarily that they could all have stolen the Bitcoins or anything. Um, we don't know the specifics and people jump to conclusions because of the PTSD in my mind. Now, I'm not saying I'm 100% sure, but I'm 90% sure that all of these players are fine at this point. So so you think sideways and up unless there's another big moment. And I think that there could be another big moment and we're unsure if it's been priced in or not. Yeah. Yeah, the, my right. little red rocket ship there is uh, is showing. Once we break that nineteen thousand, I think it's a uh, clear sailing ahead. Let's go to the next chart because it zooms in a little bit, and you can see that previous trend line that was resistance for a long time has now been support. And so, if we can hold on there and we can go sideways to higher, um, which is, I mean, ninety percent of the last six months has been sideways to higher. And um, if we can continue doing that, eventually we'll go into that resistance zone again, back above 19,000. And that's when uh, I think a lot of people, the shorts get squeezed and a lot of people start going long. All right. We'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. But that's the beautiful thing about this show. We document it every single week. Uh, and Ansel has been right more than he's been wrong. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I, I did think we were, <laughs> we wouldn't crash below 30. Then we crashed below 30. Then I thought we were going to break out when we had this false breakout with the, uh, right before FTX. So I haven't been right all the time, but uh, my sideways calls have been right, just not my breakout <laughs> calls. So, um, okay, right. let's go. Hedge, let's, hedge right here. 
Yeah, let's go to the next next chart, please. So this is the Treasury yields, U.S. Treasury yields. You oh, you yeah. like this chart? CK. I love this chart. It's uh, the Fed even in control. <laughs> yeah, the stair step is showing the upper and lower bound of the Fed funds target range. Then, of course, these are the other, like I guess, uh, dated treasuries: the two-year, five-year, thirty, and ten. You can see they're all significant. Even the two-year is below the current Fed funds target range. So are they in control? CK, what what are your thoughts on this updated chart here? I mean, uh, I love it, man. It's uh, it's awesome to kind of just see this whole story falling apart. So I'm excited to see what the two-year does and continue following what these longer-dated bonds are going to do. But, um you know, it, the, the current plan, it seems as though they're rate hiking, they're planning on tapering that and then holding it. So mm-hmm. um, if that's the narrative and these bonds keep doing the opposite, you know, this is the big moment, which is will the 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 like the kind of the lure, the 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 mystery of the Fed be be exposed and their their ability to you know, dictate yields and interest rates, you know, will that their inability of that to do that, which is the thesis of the show, will that become apparent? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is kind of like the test of the thesis of this show. That's why I think it's such an important chart because it appears to be confirming it. Right. Yeah. And speaking of can central banks control, let's go dive into the Japanese yield curve control. So this is a close up of what just happened. Um, The horizontal line uh, on the bottom was the previous ceiling. That was 0.25%. We talked about this back in June, CK, if you remember, uh, when it started to break out above this yield curve control zone. And um, I said back then that, you know, they, they can kind of control this, but they can't of, they can't win. Eventually, they will fail. And we saw that happen just this week. They announced they're going to increase their ceiling from 0.25 to 0.5. And then you can see what happened on that very first next day. It just shot all the way up from 0.25, touching the top of the new range. Uh, if you go to the next slide, Chris, we see the longer term. This is the chart I showed back in, in June. And the cone just continues to get uh, bigger as they can't control it. it. That's my position here. And a lot of people are thinking that, um, oh, this the 10-year yield or th- these yields are going to blow out in Japan. But I highlighted this one zone back in 2018 when they increased the, the window from uh, plus or minus 0.1 to plus or minus 0.2. And you can see it initially it did, it did go up and test the top of that new range, but then it fell all the way down to the bottom. Uh, so are we going to see something similar to this? We also saw, if you look at the next time they increased, so that's 2021, uh, it looked like it was testing the top of that range and then it petered out. So the way I kind of describe this is that there is some pressure in the system for rates to go higher. And uh, when they relax that pressure or when they relax their ceiling, uh, the pressure gets initially relieved and then you have a, um, a reverse movement. So uh, CK, what do you 
uh, think about these last two charts and about the Japanese yield curve control in general? Uh, it's it's honestly kind of fascinating looking what happened in 2021, where it's you know exactly how you describe the increase the the ceiling it tests up, drags down, and then begins building back up, and it coils up, and there's an enormous amount of pressure. They change they increase it, and it explodes back up. It's also fascinating seeing how much more violent uh, this is. It's almost mm. like it's in proportion with the the new range being much bigger. Um, but, you know, that's just me visually looking at the chart. Um, yeah, there's there's no other basis for kind of saying that. Uh, I don't know. Like, again, for me as a layman, I'm looking at this and saying, like, this is this is why all of this is wrecked and, you know, why we need to move to something much more simple. Uh, and that doesn't rely on, on all this kind of funny business, uh, and that's Bitcoin mining. So, and that's Bitcoin's mm -hmm. monetary supply. So I'm excited, you know, to, to usher that in and I'm excited for the future that that makes possible because all of this on paper right here, like this, this messes with the economy, the global economy's ability to do business. Ultimately, that's what it does when this financialization pretty much creates a distraction from, you know, just the, the, the meat of the, of what we're trying to do here, which is trade and become more efficient and, and cooperate and build. Uh, so all of this stuff, it's turning the tool. It's like almost like uh, misusing the tools, which is a monetary system uh, to achieve all the other uh, goals of, you know, the state as it is today. Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Uh, let's dive into what yield curve control is and then what exactly happened. Uh, I think how a, a good way to interpret what happened here. So yield curve control is when the, I don't, I didn't put a chart in here. I should have had a chart for this, but uh, when they, the central bank picks a certain tenor on the uh, curve. So in this case, it's the 10-year Japanese government bond. 
and they pick a certain ceiling that they they won't let the yield get above and if the, there's market pressure trying to push it above that yield then they will come in and buy qe they'll do qe to push it back down on the reverse side if there is, you know because this is a window plus or minus the uh 0.25 from zero. So if it goes below 0.25, negative 0.25, then they will go in and do QT to push the price or push the yield back higher. So um, they, they do it on both both ways. But this is just another form of QE. I want to make, make that clear. So we have QE. Japan has QE. They also have QQE, which stands for qualitative and quantitative easing so in quantitative uh, quantitative easing they buy as the uh, usually government securities or mortgage-backed securities okay so they buy treasuries or these mortgage-backed securities um but qqe they buy everything they go out there they buy etfs they buy stocks they buy everything there is uh, probably corporate bonds and all of that so that's quantitative and qualitative easing then that didn't work either. So first QE didn't work for Japan. Then QQE didn't work for Japan for decades, right? Then they went to, in 2016, we just saw the chart, that they went to uh, yield curve control, which is kind of like QQQE. It's just unlimited quantitative easing. And that hasn't worked either because they had to continually change the range that they're doing it. So they're, they're doing one failed policy after the next. Now, a lot of people are saying that um, this was coordinated with the Fed or whatever, that they're uh, either responding to the Fed or they're being coordinated with the Fed. But you, we saw there on the chart that this has been putting pressure on the top of this range and they just moved the range. That's all we can say. Now, it, I think some people say that this could be uh, a net negative on their economy because... As you said, it distorts prices, it distorts business. What happens when yields go up? That means prices of those bonds goes down, which if you are holding those bonds on your balance sheet as an asset, if you're a Japanese bank and or money market fund or whatever, and you're holding these government Prices bonds, of older bonds go down. The Yeah, the price... Of like the existing bonds that haven't been issued yet. Correct. The price of the existing bonds goes down. So you're holding it on your balance sheet and, you know, you are doing your business based on 0.25% as a ceiling. So you're going to make your plans on this 0.25%. Then they do a uh, unexpected surprise relaxation of that window up to 0.5. Well, the, the value of your bonds on your balance sheet have now gone down. So now you're insolvent. Uh, that this has this triggered some emergency action by the BOJ. They came in and tried to save some pension funds and save some of these money market funds. And uh, it, it had it, uh, it rhymed a lot to what happened in the UK with the gilt market that we saw earlier this year. Um, but the Japanese seemed to plan for it and be ready for that. And they smoothed out a lot of that volatility. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to add this in there. Uh, on that oh and one more thing so the way that this could be good for their economy so that is the way it could be bad the way it could be good is if you're relaxing the window that means you're going to have to do less qe most likely right because 
you do more QE to hold it down. Well, if you're holding it here, you're probably going to do less QE. So that means there's going to be more government bonds out in the economy, right? Because QE is really, it's taking- It's, it's sucking up the collateral. It's sucking up the valuable collateral out of the system. Well, when you, when you raise the, the window here, raise the ceiling, you're going to suck less collateral out of the system. And so that could be actually stimulatory to their economy, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. So there, there's competing forces here. We can't tell if this is going to be good or bad. I tend to come down on the side that this is actually going to help Japan a little bit. It's going to help their economy. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Any response to that, CK? So you think that this is going to help because it's just more easing and that's, you know, that's falling in line with where the market is going anyways. It's less easing. Yeah. Okay. Because they're, they're allowing for a bigger window um, where they don't actually have to um, be active. Right. Yeah. And one, one of the problems Japan has had, like I said, they failed over and over with QE, QQE and yield curve control because they're just taking this much needed collateral out of the system. So they're perpetuating this uh, deflationary environment. Yeah, if they, I mean, if, they, I mean yeah. if you think of like the collateral in the system, like that's how uh, yeah. a debt-based system works uh, is you need that collateral. And that's how a modern financial system has been working is you need that collateral. So if like the economy is like a body and the collateral is like the blood of the body um, yeah. and QE, where they're buying the collateral, they're buying up the blood uh, and taking it out of the system because they're putting it on their balance sheets uh, rather than allowing it to be priced and, and, and you know, a liquid part of the market, uh, that it's almost like sucking the blood out of the body, out of the economy. Um, and I mean, I guess, what are your thoughts on that kind of analogy? Yeah, that's perfect, man. I wrote a yield curve control piece back in, it was like May of 2021. And I was saying like why it wasn't going to work and all this. Uh, and I, I said that yield curve control is economic bloodletting. That's exactly what it is. Uh, so it's maybe I got it, that from you. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe uh, you came up with the same one as me, but um, exactly, man, it is. They are you in a credit based system. You need a both ways in the plumbing needs to work in both ways, just like a circulatory system. And if you, t if you hamper, like, you know, just think if, if you, don't let the blood come back to the lungs to get re-oxygenated or whatever, then it, you end up dying, right? So yeah, it's bloodletting is what they're doing to the economy right now through QE. Now, if they're raising that ceiling and they're doing less QE, uh, that could be good for the economy. Maybe it will cause some short-term havoc, but it will end up benefiting their economy. Also, Japan has not followed the same playbook as a lot of the other central banks like the Fed being uber hawkish and the ECB being uber hawkish here. Japan has said, oh, no, we're just going to still do our same yield curve control and our same QQE process that we've always been doing. Uh, so they, they're kind of on the opposite end of the experiment as the Fed, which is kind of interesting. So we'll see how that uh, works out. Bless you. Thank you. No, um, it's fascinating kind of seeing it. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, Japan is, has kind of been the only central bank that hasn't uh, bent to to the Fed. We've seen Europe uh, pivot with, you know, following what the Fed was doing. Um, you know, we've seen what's happened and coming out of China. Uh, I mean, to some degree, 
you know, we've seen, uh, you know, other central banks, uh, the Central Bank of South Korea, you know, saying like, hey, you know, y'all are affecting us. Uh, but here's Japan, you know, kind of just doing their thing. Uh, and uh, just going back to that chart, you know, they've been on this trend, which you're saying, you know, actually lessens the need for QE since 2017, 2016, uh, where they're kind of uh, increasing the range of their uh, of, of their yield control. Can you kind of talk to us like, you know, I guess since they've been kind of on this trend since that long, uh, what was the environment there before that they were doing yield curve control? I guess uh, they just weren't messing with that at all. Um, I guess. Uh, well, they were doing they were doing QE. And QE so only is, QE and they and then yield curve control was kind of the next tool. And then that that really came into play, uh, you know, in 2016. Right. Um, they were OK. So the idea behind yield curve control is they want. The Fed or central banks, they want to have a nice sloping um, yield curve because the banks can borrow short and lend long. Right. You, you want to banks will borrow for a week or a month and they'll lend for five, 10, 30 years. So they want to have a, this differential and they want to be able to roll over their short term loans uh, constantly so that they can um, or their short term sources of capital so that they can, um, you, you know, stay solvent, basically. But when the we have a yield curve inversion, obviously, the short the long term rates are low or below. So you can't make a profit. That's really bad for banks' balance sheets, obviously. It makes it means that they're about to go out of business. And uh, so then what yield curve control wants to do is it wants to peg, usually it's a shorter term rate. Now this is a little bit different with a 10-year, which I'll talk about here in a second. But um, the it's usually like, say, the two-year. They'll want to peg the shorter term rate. And what they think that will do is to peg it, they use QE and they think, oh, okay, that's going to flood money out into the market. We're doing QE, so it's going to be stimulatory and inflationary. Uh, and what will happen is that will push up the long end so that then the banks can borrow short at this suppressed rate and they can lend long at these inflated rates. So they think it's going to make the force the yield curve into a nice upward sloping yield curve. Now, what Japan did was they pegged the 10-year, which is pretty much right smack dab in the middle of the curve. Why would they do that? Because they wanted a flat curve. They have been trying to get inflation forever, and they thought the best way to do it is let's just flatten the whole damn thing. Let's just, like, they think we can get inflation by pegging the two-year. We're going to show them what real inflation is. We're going to peg the 10-year. And, you know, that's going to be real inflation. Never happened. Okay. Never happened. Didn't work. Didn't work initially. They had to change the peg. They didn't work again. They changed it again. So th this is really the third try of yield curve control, which itself is the third try of QE. And it, none of their plans ever work out. Yeah. And this is almost like them retreating back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you for breaking that down for us. These are some complex topics here, guys. Yes. Uh, and, and Ansel is the one who's done the most studying here. Uh, I, I'm just uh, the guy asking the dumb questions.
Well, for, for guys listening on the podcast app, uh, you can, in the, the show notes, I'll put a link to the article that I wrote uh, 18 months ago about yield curve control. And that, you know, it's a 10 minute read, but we'll get you up to speed pretty quick. All right, should we go into, I, I only have one more macro chart and that's the dollar. If we want to talk about that. Let's do it. Okay, uh, Chris, can we go to the next slide, please? So this is just, I mean, the dollar has been kind of boring. Sitting at 104, it's been 106 to 104 for months now, since basically the end of October. And um, I'm just reading this uh, question here. Does Ansel believe the dollar has topped out? Long term, no, but for the medium term, yes. I think the dollar will eventually enter a new range just like it did uh, in 2015 for several years and the way it did after the great financial crisis for several years. I think the dollar will enter a new range uh, around this area and then in the future, maybe four or five years down the road, then it will break out higher again. And this is the script that has been written by a deflationary outcome to this problem. So the dollar will continue to strengthen. And that kind of explains what I think is going on with this chart. We've kind of bottomed for the time being. We're trying to create a bottom to a new range that the dollar is going to sit in. And um, yeah, that's my, what I have to say about this chart. CK, what are your thoughts on the dollar? No, I mean, I don't have a... Uh... I don't have really uh, strong thoughts here. Uh, I just I kind of like seeing it historically and and trying to think through uh, the rates and how and and how the last year of history have kind of played out in conjunction to this chart. I feel like this chart, like I feel like there there are actual events that are happening in the world as this chart is making new highs and then uh, mm. slumping back. So. You know, that my mind was just kind of going through that as you're talking through, uh, you know, how you think that, you know, we're creating a new new range here uh, for the dollar at higher levels. Um, I mean, it does seem as though uh, the dollar rips up. Everyone scrambles to make a lot of different changes to adjust for it. You know, obviously that has a little bit of a dampening effect. And now we're in a new normal. So uh, that it, it feels like it, it fits with the narrative. Um but, you know, that's, I guess that's all I have to add. Yeah. And one of the things that one of the, there, there's some forces out here that kind of create this back and forth with the dollar and why I think that it's just going to enter a new higher range. I didn't include it this week, but people that listen on a regular basis know the Hong Kong dollar chart that I'd like to show. And the Hong Kong dollar is a peg between 7.75 and 7.85 Hong Kong dollars per dollar. And when it's at the top of that range, th that is very, that means there's a lot of dollar pressure in the world. That's a proxy I, that I use for dollar pressure. Well, when did that top out? That topped out right as this chart, the dollar chart started falling. And so now we are towards the bottom half of that Hong Kong dollar peg. And that means to me that there is very little dollar pressure in the world. And we'll go back and forth between those two pegs because that's actual market intervention, okay? The Hong Kong Monetary Authority, they go out there and they will 
sell dollars from their reserves, billions of dollars from their reserves and buy Hong Kong dollars, right? To strengthen the, the Hong Kong dollar. And they'll do the reverse at the bottom. So that is actual monetary force in the world of billions of dollars that is keeping this, forcing the dollar into a new range. There's also a lot of things like at the top, when the dollar stress is very acute, the worst players go bankrupt. The worst players get liquidated. And who's left? Well, it's going to be the people that can, you know, the people that are in less trouble. So yeah, there is still a strong dollar force, but it's not as acute because all of the worst players have been liquidated out of the system. So there, there's, and then as the dollar drops, new players come in, they get more profligate, they get a little bit more risky with their dollar loans and the dollar strengthens again. So there, there's all sorts of ebb and flows here, why the dollar should enter a new higher range. Now, the only argument against that, in my opinion, is when people say, oh, isn't the end of the dollar inflationary? You know, isn't, why doesn't the government just print more dollars? And I got into this on Telegram this morning with uh, one of the guys there. He was asking pretty much that question. And I was like, well, printing money today is not like printing money in 1975 or whatever, because back then there was a lot more pr productivity per new dollar. Today, pretty much every new dollar is printed just to service the debts. And so you can print a whole bunch of money, but it's no, it's not a net printing of dollars. And that's where we're kind of at in the world and why the dollar will continue to strengthen and not weaken. What do you think of that, CK? Yeah, and I mean, it does seem like there's a... The economic reality around the world is very different. And I think the the digital nature of a lot of this technology also uh, is is really kind of interesting uh, in terms of a like inflationary perspective. Uh, it's maybe the mechanism to distribute funds technologically exists, but it seems like there's an issue distributing funds right now and distributing currency. Um, I don't know if that if that's actually true if I'm making that up, but um, it, I feel like there's there's also kind of a, a distribution issue in terms of of inflation. Um, but in terms of all the dollars that are being created in order to just service debt, and the fact that uh, inflation today happens when debt is issued um, versus just you know printing out money from thin air and and kind of giving it to your friends which is kind of like this meme that people envision as printing money. Um, you know, I, I guess that, that, that makes sense. Unfortunately, you know, I, as it's very clear here, I, I'm not an expert by any means. Uh, so, you know, just kind of trying to make, uh, just trying to make, uh, make ends of it, you know, trying to just try to understand what's happening in this very complex system. Yeah, and it'd be much more simple if we did not have debt-based money, because with sound money, you the you get money by earning it. You know, in, in a debt-based money, especially at the end of a debt-based money, like you say, you print it and give it to your friends or whatever. There, there is a distribution problem, but that's because the most credit-worthy people are going to get the loans, and that's where money is printed. So there is a distribution problem, 
and that is based on being a credit-based system. Um, but the end is not inflationary. The end is that, you know, I, I just had a long rant on one of my live streams about the old geriatric and decrepit system. That is what we're going to in this quote unquote fiat system is a slow grind to zero economic growth, to uh, debt burden, uh, su such a high debt burden that you can't move. And yep. the only source of growth is going to be Bitcoin. So, um, yeah. I, I, we're, hey, we're... Subscribe to Bitcoin Markets. Go check out the Telegram group. Listen to the rants. Yeah, we, we could go back and forth on this for ages and ages. But um, should we go into well, the last one? No, just no. one last comment on that. And, and I, I fully buy into this idea of like, I think people have this, uh, this, they have different definitions for inflation, right? And, and they both think that inflation is just like money printing and the denominations on bills going up. And they've seen mm -hmm. like, what, what do you mean inflation can't happen? They've seen all these countries hyperinflate and destroy their, their fiat currency. Um, but there's this other kind of, uh, viewpoint of inflation, whereas you know, inflation is 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 life. It's motion. It, it's it's the it's the actual dollars going down in value against real goods and those good and and the economy growing. Uh, and in that sense, uh, I fully agree with you know the picture that you are painting here, which is that the system is dying, and the 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 issue with the system is that it is a poor uh, operating system for an economy to leverage in order to allocate and manage resources. That's like the key here. So uh, as it is now confronted with Bitcoin, which is a better system for allocating resources, uh, it, that, that will become even more apparent. And then the growth on the Bitcoin system uh, compared to the stagflation and the crippling mm. debt and and the the inability to create growth and to allocate resources it's going to become very stark when you start comparing these two systems in the wild yeah great points man uh the way i think of it is uh, well th there's been a debate very recently in bitcoin about is there going to be credit in a bitcoin standard you know what form of credit is there going to be is it going to be commodity credit circulation credit you know all, all these different things um, and people think that credit is bad in a way, but it's not. I look at credit as that is actual capital allocation happening. You know, it's some guy taking his money and giving it to another person that is better. He's allocating the capital and, and that entrepreneur is doing the business, right? So that's capital allocation. There has to be credit in the system. Um, but in a credit-based money, there is no savings. There is no savings because everything is credit in the first place. So you're taking credit and you're either creating more credit or you are lending out credit. That's all there is to it. So that that's the problem. And that system works very well when the world is relatively peaceful. There's no world wars going on. There's not a lot of trade wars going on. There's, you know, a lot of expansion that could be had, right? A lot of, not a lot of enemies out there. Not a lot of enemies, low, low hanging fruit in emerging markets and all that stuff. So uh, that's when that system works really well. But once all of that, those preconditions break down, then the, the conditions for the credit based money also break down. So 
That's why we're going to eventually go back to sound money just because those preconditions no longer work anymore. So, oh, man, uh, this well, is... And, and sound money will give a better platform for measuring and evaluating and extending proper credit into the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, because then you're, you're lending savings, at least to a high degree, you're lending savings and not... Um, creating new money out of thin air so so it's like credit with skin in the game exactly yeah interest wow. rates will be higher interest rates will be higher for sure well um, i mean again the, the whole point here is you want you want your money to reflect reality because that's the best way to allocate resources is is in order to you know either react to or anticipate reality so uh, you need the most accurate tool possible Exactly. All right. Last story here we have is about GDP. And Chris, can we bring up slide number eight? GDP was revised upwards again. So this is Q3. They go through three revisions. They have one or two revisions. They have one release, which you can see in this highlighted box. That's the first one. Then they revised it a little bit up in their first revision. And now we have the second and final revision for Q3 GDP. And it is um, a little bit higher still. I wanted to read out a little bit from this story here. And let me just get the proper place here. The update from the second estimate reflected upward revisions to consumer spending, which rose 2.3% in Q3, up from 1.7% in the previous estimate, and up from 2% in Q2 as well as upward revisions to business investment and state and local government that were partly offset by downward revisions to inventory investment and exports. Looking at the bigger picture, the, the third quarter increase in real GDP reflected increases in exports, consumer spending, business investment, and government spending that were partly offset by decreasing or decreases in housing investment and inventory investment. Imports, which are a subtraction in the calculation of GDP, decreased. All right. And then I wanted to do one more chart, and that is um, the next slide, Chris, please. This is showing um, how these kind of move here. And I did have to expand it out, so it's a little bit blurred. But you can see it's quarter-to-quarter -quarter change in prices. The top line is gross domestic purchases. Uh, the dashed blue line is gross domestic purchases, ex excluding food and energy. Then the orange solid line is PCE. That is like CPI, but it's the one that the Fed uses and the government usually uses for things like real GDP is nominal GDP minus inflation or minus PCE. So this is the, what they use. The dashed orange line is core PCE. So what one thing I said about... I don't know, maybe six months ago, was that the rest of the year was going to be a race between inflation dropping or, you know, CPI, these price indexes dropping versus nominal GDP dropping. And you can see in this right here from Q2 to Q3, we had a steep decline in nominal GDP. That's the blue solid blue line. So from basically 8.5% down to 5%, that is a very steep decline in uh, 
actual nominal GDP. It feels like a recession, right? It's four and a half percent decline in nominal GDP. But what else happened was PCE or the inflation index dropped even faster. And so we had this huge drop, uh, the ability to force real GDP into the positive territory. So that's what I have to say about this. I think it's going to continue. Uh, fourth quarter, we'll probably see something very similar with nominal GDP dropping again, but the PCE is going to drop further still. So uh, it's kind of a race between nominal GDP and inflation, and it's going to end up where real GDP is positive. So CK, what are your thoughts on GDP as a measurement, it's kind of a crap measurement, but what's your thoughts on this, the revision process and, and all that? Who? Well, I mean, just trying to make, uh, make sense of, of everything here, you know, really what you're in, if you're just like looking through this PCE has always kind of been less than GDP. Uh, and therefore, as long as it stays below, there's going to be some sort of positive GDP numbers, even though, um, even though from like an overall like growth percentage perspective, it's lower. Uh, is, is that kind of what you're explaining? Um, yes. I mean, this blue line isn't exactly nominal GDP because uh, this is just gross domestic purchases. Um, mm -hmm. And you, there's other things like imports that are factored yep. into actual nominal GDP. But uh, this kind of shows that economic activity slowed down dramatically, but mm -hmm. so did the PCE index. And that's why yep, we have the a prices. Yeah. Yep. And that a lot of that is baked into that is, is energy. Um, and it, because you, you can see that if you exclude energy and food, um, you know, it's, it's relatively flat. So, I mean, yeah, is, is there a, a point? point? So do you think that energy and food prices continue to drop or uh, do you see PCE starting to flatten? For the U S I think, that energy and food will probably start coming back down. Um, but in other parts of the country or sorry, other parts of the world is not going to be like that. I think they're, they're going to have continued higher prices, maybe continued price increases in energy and food. Uh, but the U S specifically, I think we can see flat to down on those, you know, non core things. Yep. That makes sense. Absolutely. Makes sense. All right, Ansel. Well, this has been a, uh, a technical and uh, information-packed show. Uh, thank you for breaking down some of these advanced topics for your boy. I appreciate it. And uh, to everyone listening out there, if you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe. Uh, we're pushing out the best content on the internet in terms of Bitcoin, as far as I'm concerned, over here at Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, and uh, we need the help of folks like Ansel to do so uh, and an audience like yourselves uh, in order to to spread the word. So I uh, appreciate all of y'all. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Uh, and make sure to come to the Bitcoin conference. Of course, Bitcoin 2023, May 18th through the 20th in Miami. Promo code BM Live. Come celebrate the end of Bitcoin winter. You know, Ansel's bullish. We're bullish too. May <laughs> 18th through the 20th. Things are going up. Clear skies ahead. See y'all there. Peace. Merry Christmas, guys. See you on t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media. 
the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.